is what is today February 5th 2017 my name is Rafael Garcia and I am with Shawan Humes for yet another edition of the MMA ratings podcast how you doing there sir good as always man on time for one on time for once actually yes this may be your second time maybe <laughs> maybe yeah it's um so what we I have fans actually kind of they're like dude you can be on time for your own show Basically, man, you know, it is life happens. Yeah, life yeah. happens, right? Yeah, can't do nothing, can't do much about it. Basically, man, basically. So yeah, we got a um, we got a couple things to talk about today. So let's see. I want to look back to Bellator 175. Um, want to look forward to UFC 210, and also um, want to look at some of the news from this past week but as always before we jump into that i always want to say thank you for everyone who comes out and supports our show who goes to the website and checks out our pieces you can always find us at mmaratings.net keep up with our content there and you can definitely um check us out each and every week um usually wednesday or thursday whatever day we get around to doing the damn show but wednesday or thursday um check us out on youtube be sure to like and share our content down at the bottom we've been growing steadily so i appreciate everyone for checking us out i know shawan does as well yep always appreciative of anybody and everybody who checks out what we have to say like i said we we do it because we have a passion for it but we also do it for you guys so Please support, and uh, if you have any sort of things you want us to talk about, let us know. We're here for you guys. Definitely, definitely here for you. Um, so with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump right into Bellator 175, where we saw the long-awaited, and I'm using that in air quotes, rematch between King Mo and Quentin Rampage, Rampage Jackson, where King Mo walked out with the decision victory, um, winning two of three rounds. Uh, what was your th- initial thoughts on this fight there, sir? Uh, initially, based on, uh, I was talking to Mo about it, and it kind of went a little bit differently than than uh, the team expected. They expected uh, Jackson to kind of press a little bit, try to cut the cage off on Mo, which would give him opportunities to kind of box him, counter him, hit the jab, step around him, turn him so he couldn't set his feet. And instead, uh, Jackson kind of backed up. He backed up to the fence to help him with the takedowns and to kind of give him a chance to put his weight on Mo, And that kind of threw him off a little bit. But we had spent some time discussing the fact that Jackson isn't, wasn't going to be in shape. He wasn't going to be able to chase. That's what I told him. I was like, he's not going to be able to chase you. His feet are slow. He's coming in almost 50 pounds heavier than he usually does. And he's, he's not going to be able to chase you. He knows the takedown is going to be there. So he's going to sit back and try to counter you as you come in. And that's pretty much what uh, happened. But initially, the thought was that he was going to press. So it took him a little bit to adjust when when Rampage wasn't coming out after him and was instead sitting back and waiting for Mo to come in on him. And um, did that did the outcome really surprise you much? Were you kind of uh, excited to see what you saw? Um, well, I, I knew he was going to win. Like we had, we've been talking about this fight for like about three or four months. And people don't know, like I've I worked with King Mo a little bit. That's why I'm a little... I'm a little iffy when it comes down to decisions and discussing it because usually I'm talking to him about what the game plan is going to be. But I knew uh-huh. he was going to win because Rampage wasn't hasn't been very active. Most fought like ten times in the time that Rampage in the last since the last time Rampage has fought. So Rampage wasn't his timing wasn't going to be sharp. He wasn't going to be in top tip top shape. 
if he if he would have came after Mo, like he would have pressed them and tried to kind of get him, try to bait Mo. I think Mo Mo might have knocked him out. Mo might have stopped him. But fighting the way he did, kind of conserving his energy and playing it safe and exploding in spots, I think that allowed him to kind of go the decision. That, that gave that gave him the opportunity because he got to save his energy and then he got to make the most of the shots he threw because he was coming off of counters. But um, that that's the only thing that shocked me. If he would have been more aggressive, I, I think Mo would have stopped him. You think so? Yeah. And what about when um when did did you think that Mo really had him rocked? Uh, or excuse me. Rampage had him rocked in the second round. Um, he had he hurt he hurt him. It wasn't like he was he wasn't close to getting knocked out. He wasn't just like stunned and and all that. But he caught him clean. He, he admitted that on in the in the post conference. He admitted that to me. He he caught him clean. He knew he knew he was taking some heavy shots and he was gonna have to make an adjustment. But he wasn't anywhere near being stopped. Mo's pretty Mo's pretty upfront about that kind of stuff. He thinks if he's close to being stopped, he'll just say it. But he wasn't close to being stopped. He just he got caught. He kind of lost focus. Uh, was was in front of. Quinn a little bit longer than we would have liked, and he got countered. And so then he, it was just a matter of riding it out and uh, letting, letting Quinn in, like do whatever he needed to do, and just making sure he he wasn't on the end of a knockout shot. And then he knew in the third round he was gonna have to come out and uh, take the third take the third round decisively for him to win that fight. I definitely think the third round was very interesting because um, I thought it was gonna go a lot like the second round did. But when Rampage took that bad shot, it was just like, uh, when's the last time Rampage has hit, a, has hit a double leg? That's the first thing I thought. You know, when's the last time he's actually hit a double and finished one in a fight? That caught a lot of people off guard, but that's the reason he did it. Because originally talking about it, Rampage doesn't kick against Mo. Rampage hasn't made a history of kicking a lot or really working the takedown angle. But he came in heavier for a reason. And part of that reason was that if he got his hands on Mo, he'd be able to kind of manhandle him like, I think the con- he got confidence in that second round when he had that, uh, I think it was a, the outside leg trip and kind of almost threw Mo completely. I think that gave him some confidence figuring, like, Mo's not going to be expecting this. So if I if I do a shot, even if it's a badly timed shot, I'm going to come in, like, almost 50, 60 pounds heavier than Mo. Because Mo probably walked in the, in the ring about 209. So he was almost, you know, 49, 55 pounds heavier than him. So um, he's probably figuring once I get my hands on him, I can muscle him down. Or worst case scenario... I can back him up, which was really bothering Quinn was the was the body work. Nobody paid attention to that early on, but a lot of time Mo was faking with the jab high and he kept sticking him to the body. And a lot of people think that those kind of shots don't hurt you, but when you're not in top condition already and you're having to move around and work a lot, fighting off clinches and working to get back to your feet, uh, those little shots to the body start chop, start uh, wearing you down. And that's a big thing. I know his uh, other coach, Gary Clark, is big on that, but ever since I've known Mo, one of the main things I'm always getting on him is like, you need to work the body. A lot of the shots you throw to the head, guys can get away from, but the body's almost there. And every single fight you throw, the body will always be there. And that helps you get into a really good those power shots. And in that third round, you notice he almost went exclusively to the body. He was like just throwing three, four, five punch combinations to the body. When he's in the clinch, throwing, you know, a series, two or three series of shots to the body because he knew, he knew Quinnen didn't have the cardio. So he had to really turn it up. And Quinnen didn't like those body shots. He was, he took the shot trying to get Mo off him because he knew he was being held against the cage and he wasn't getting any offense off and Mo was chopping him to the body. So then he went to the takedown to catch him off guard and hopefully get Mo down and kind of finish him. But that didn't work out. And that's really when the fight turned around, but Mo still could have lost the fight if he would have just went on cruise control, but he knew that he was going to have to um, open up. And before the fight, I told Mo to make it easy. I'm like, you know, you should do like, he's a big boxing fan. He, I told him to do the Mayweather, do the Andre Ward, just outclass him, outflick him. Make it easy, but uh, he told me before the fight. He said, 
he said, I'm going to Iran Barkley him. He goes, I feel like walking him down. And when it comes down to if the, if the fight gets close, I'm going to walk him down. I'm going to outfight him if, it, if the fight gets close. And the fight got close and he just, he walked him down. He had Rampage up against fate, against fence and he was punishing him to the body and Rampage wasn't liking it either. If you watch the film, Rampage was moving away from it because he didn't like it. He was outworking him in those exchanges too. So it was a little bit tighter than I would have liked, but um, Mo had something in mind and, and he was determined to do it and that's what he did. So what, what would you do next with, with both guys? Um, we have King Mo at... Um... We have King Mo against Ryan Bader coming over, which I think is a bad fight for Mo. Um, I think it's a bad fight for him. But what, like, talk to me about that because that's kind of like that came out. Obviously, they were working on the plan beforehand. Um, they were looking at this fight beforehand because it was announced right right at the event, and you know they're not really sure what they're going to do with Rampage because actually Rampage owes the UFC some fights, so you know there's that that's kind of hanging over there. So. Question is, what are you going to do with that? But what do you, uh, what do you do next with, um, with both guys actually at, at, at this point in time? Well, with Rampage, you could still keep him. I mean, if if the UFC doesn't enforce it, because I don't know that they will. I don't know how much value Rampage has with them right now. But um, you know, I still think even at heavyweight, him not being in super good shape, he's still got one of the better chins in MMA. He still, he's he's always been good on the counter. And a lot of those heavyweights, a lot of the ones he'd be facing, at least initially, don't have his experience. And even even at his weight, he's still a better athlete than a lot of them. And some of the other guys don't have really good chins. I think, I think like, right now in the UFC, I think I would pick Rampage over Andre Arlarski right now. I, 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 think could, I think he could beat him right now. There's a couple other heavyweights. You know, he could, he could compete with Roy Nelson at this stage of Roy Nelson's game. I think he could compete with Roy Nelson. I think he might even beat Roy Nelson. Because he'd be the faster guy. He's the more athletic guy. He'd be faster. I don't know if he could stop him, but if he could just kind of have a couple good bursts here and there, I think he could he could beat Roy Nelson at this stage. Roy Nelson, Andre Arvalowski. And some of the younger guys, they've got their – a lot of the heavyweights aren't known for their athleticism. I'm not saying he's being Francis and Nagano, but some of the other heavyweights who've got a little bit of athleticism but not a lot of seasoning. I mean, if he's hitting somebody like Mo, and Mo's a small, light heavyweight. Mo's a small, light heavyweight. He could, he could probably fight a middleweight. None of those guys are moving as quickly as Mo are. So there's a better chance he gets to those guys, better chance he lands those shots. And and Rampage, even though he hasn't fought a heavyweight a lot or at all, all the light all the lightweight, light heavyweights he's fought, the bigger names he's fought, all those guys hit hard enough to knock out heavyweights. So he's I think he could handle the power of the lower level guys he'd be facing, or even some of the upper level guys he'd be facing in the UFC right now. Uh, if Bellator keeps him, I mean the Bellator's heavyweight division isn't particularly long, so there's a lot of guys that you can match them up with fights. And as we know, Rampage has some drawing power still. And his last performance he had wasn't a bad one at all. You know, he had his moment. He won the second round. And, you know, he also fought Ishii a couple months ago, and he beat him. So, you know, it makes Rampage look pretty good. So they could still sell him as a guy staying at heavyweight, fighting other heavyweights. Um, as far as Mo. Uh, he's going to be fighting Ryan Bader. A lot of people t- are telling me that's a bad matchup. I personally, I, I can see why they say that, but given the history and the, and the study I've done on Ryan Bader, I don't think it's as bad a matchup as people think. I don't I don't think it is at all. I, I'd actually favor Mo, and not just because, I mean, if I disagree with him, I would just tell you, because I disagree with him all the time. We argue about that stuff. He says this guy's going to do one thing. I say, no way in hell. He's doing another thing, and we'll argue about it. He can, because I'm just giving suggestions. I'm part of the camp. I, I'm not the final word. But I tell them what I think, they, they either believe me or not. And it's the same thing with the Rampage fight. I was like, Rampage is going for a takedown. 
well, he would never go for a takedown on the caliber of a wrestler or Mo. I said, he's going to go for a takedown. He needs a win. He wants this win. He's going for a takedown. And so when he went for it, Mo was ready for it. But Mo was like, he was surprised by it. And I was like, let me send this message we had with this discussion we had three months ago. Right here, I said, he's going for a takedown. It didn't surprise me at all. So we have disagreements on it. But I personally think, from what I've seen of Bader, I, I, I think I already know how Bader's going to fight Mo. I already got it right in my head. I just got to get some tape study over it to really figure it out. But I personally think Mo's going to beat him. And I, I think I think Mo can stop him. Rampage has got one of the better chins in MMA. Ryan Bader does not. And he has a bad habit of walking into counters. That's always been it. Watch the film. Just watch it. He does. He does. I mean, that's definitely why... Um, that's definitely why uh, Tito Ortiz stopped him years ago. You know, he walked right into that counter and went to sleep. So there's definitely that aspect of, of, of the fight that um, I think is very worth worth mentioning, worth paying attention to. I am more interested in seeing Bader because I I am... I feel like he's extremely motivated right now in listening to what he's been saying when it comes to the interviews and about how uh, how he was let go by the uh, UFC. I mean, he was on a run. Um, yeah, he always has faltered against those top tier opponents. That's mostly where he, you know, the guys four, one through five is where he always kind of falls apart. And that's understandable because you got to be a special caliber to get to that top, top group. So I'm really interested in seeing what it's like for him um, in Bellator now, if, if he really has kind of gotten this breath of, of fresh air and, and is the fighter that everyone is expecting him to be. Well, the main thing is, uh, I mean, even if he was say in the UFC, he'd still be considered one of the better ones just because a, both divisions aren't particularly deep. I mean, they have guys, but for the most part, with his wrestling base and his, his athleticism, he has, a lot of advantages. he has a lot of advantages over many guys. He's already beaten the champion in the UFC. And uh, Liam McGeary, a submission guy, is good. But, um, you know, Bader's fully capable of just wrestling and grappling him to a decision loss in a similar manner to what Phil Davis did. It's just that unlike unlike Davis, Bader actually has, like, one-shot knockout power. Bader can put somebody away if he gets him in the right spot. So it, it's, it's a great opportunity for him. But the fact of the matter is Bader always seems to falter against a certain caliber of person. And um, mm-hmm. and in my standing right now, I I still even though Mo lost to Phil Davis by decision, I would still say Mo's one of the better light heavyweights in the world as far as like activity, and 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 wins as far as the best he wins he could get outside of the UFC. And usually this is the kind of guy that Bader doesn't win against. Bader usually wins against guys he has a clear wrestling advantage over and he has a clear athleticism advantage over. He's faster than Phil Davis. He hits harder. He's a better wrestler. But when he fought the other guys, you know, who had a little bit more athleticism, a little bit more variety to their game, he's lost, and he's lost decisively. John Jones, Glover Teixeira, I tend to believe Moe's in that caliber. The good thing for Phil, for Ryan Bader is, given the division being so thin and him still being a new name, whether he wins or if he wins, he's in the driver's seat. Even if he loses, um, he's still a new – he's still a new – it's like Benson Henderson. Benson Henderson lost, but Benson Henderson was still put right into other situations. And Ryan Bader's a big light heavyweight. He could probably compete at heavyweight as well. And even if he loses a light heavyweight, there's still options. The division is not so thick that he couldn't get back to the top with another win or two. So he has a lot of options moving forward. And since he hasn't lost repeated big fights here, he's going to get many opportunities because they paid him and he's still a name. So he'll get more opportunities. In the UFC, he's lost every big fight he's had. So it's hard to keep him because all he does is keep knocking off the young guys and you need the young guys to come up so you can start getting those new matchups. 
So there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity for Bader at, at, at heavyweight or light heavyweight. And I think that's the reason he came over to Bellator. And I'm not saying definitely. he doesn't have a change with Mo. I just don't think he does. I definitely am always with you on that, man. It's always going to be um, a hell of a conversation. So I, I can't wait for this fight. I think that's kind of, that's probably, that's right now, that's, that's well, that's one of the most interesting fights on that fight card because you also have Douglas Lima and Lorenz Larkin fighting that night, which is something I'm going to be, which I can't wait to see that fight. And just to touch back on the light heavyweight thing, I know everybody says, you know, the UFC, UFC and Bellator's light heavyweight champ, tied, light heavyweight fighters are sit, with John Jones being out of the out of the discussion because he's suspended. They're essentially they're pretty close on the same level of talent if you really think about it. And Mo versus Bader is probably other than other than Cormier versus Johnson, it's no worse than the second best, maybe a stretch, third best light heavyweight fight in the world you can make right now. So. Bellator has, has the has the second best light heavyweight fight, and it's not even involving a title. So you could since you could essentially say non-title fight. It's the best light heavyweight non-title fight you can make in the world. And Bellator wasn't able to say that a week ago, a month ago, or a year ago. And right now they could say our next light heavyweight matchup is better than anything you're going to get from the UFC in that month. Definitely, definitely. Um, it's funny on um on. What was the show on the MMA beat last week? They were talking about how this is probably like the biggest fight of the year so far because 20, 2017 hasn't had any major, big, big, important fights. So this is definitely one to um, one to look forward to. Yep, and it's, it's and um, just for the fans, like I know sometimes I go over the talks, I'll be like, I work with these guys, and I don't do that to to brag or like I'm trying to act like I'm better than anybody. I'm just saying like when I say certain things, like when I'm talking about Mo, I'm not telling you like what an announcer and analysis who's outside the situation is saying. Like, I'm telling you, like, conversations me and him and his team had. I can't tell you before the fight, clear, obviously, for reasons. But when we're having these conversations reflecting on the fight, I'm, like, tell, I'm not telling you what I think he thought or what I felt he thought from observing it. I'm telling you what we discussed before, before the fight, right before the fight, and after the fight, and the days after the fight. It's not, this isn't, like, just, oh, I'm speculating. I'm not speculating. I deal with him on a regular basis. And I've dealt with him on, a, like, probably his last eight, seven, eight fight. So like when I'm speaking on this stuff, like I'm actually telling you what's actually happening because I'm actually involved. In it. So it's not trying to brag. It's not trying to act like I know everything, but in certain instances, I know more than most people because I'm dealing with the people involved in it and not as an outsider, but actually I'm in the group. Check the interviews regularly mentioned black Jordan Breen, my boy, Shawan, that his, he has a team of people. I'm one of those people. So I always like to say that just so Definitely. people understand if there's a bias, if you feel there's a bias, but if you want to know what's going on after the fight, I can tell you because I'm actually involved in that process. So let's go ahead and look forward to some other. Let's go. Let's, let's cover some other things from this event. Um, we have the fight between Galvao and um, Emmanuel Sanchez. And I also want to look at the um, Sergey Car um Caratano fight as well, because um, Sergey is someone who I find interesting, is because I think that if he did go to the UFC at some point in time, he could uh, he could make some noise at heavyweight. Like you said earlier, the heavyweight division is kind of wide open. So, what do you think of both of these guys? And also, um, what do you think of both of those performances, one by Sanchez and one by um, Karatanov? Uh, I'm impressed with San I'm impressed with Bellator with Sanchez because as we've known, due to the the kind of thinness of the division, Bellator hasn't done a really good job with developing a whole lot of guys, like getting them 
get to a position where they're on the verge of maybe superstardom with winning records without having to take huge punishing losses. Their old tournament style had guys who were who could have been really great, you know, having these huge wars or punishing knockout losses that kind of set them back a little bit. They've actually slowly moved Sanchez up step by step and allowed him to face different types of styles, different levels of opposition, different styles of fighter, and different levels of experience. And he's been, for the most part, able to win most of those fights and log in a lot of experience in the Bellator cage. And as you get that experience as a prospect, you start rounding out your skills. You start finding out what you can really do because against a lower level of fighter, you can do whatever you want. But as you start moving up and face different matchups, you learn what, what you can really do under duress. You, under, you, you learn your game. You learn how to work your cage IQ. You learn how to develop as a professional fighter. And they've done an excellent job with them. Um, Sanchez seems like he can do it all. He can wrestle, he can grapple a bit, he can kickbox. The problem with him is all his this, all his fights are workmanlike. And what I mean by that is they're never dynamic finishes, even in the fight. I mean, you can go to a decision and have a firefight for a decision, you know, but in his fights, they're they're never just they're not boring. They're not without excitement or or a fast pace, but you rarely see any standout technique like when he hits somebody and he just stuns them so badly or he throw some kind of combination that makes you stand out of your feet. You never get the, the idea that his opponents are in real danger. Danger of losing a fight or being outworked, yes. Danger of being finished or seriously harmed, I never get that impression from him. And that's going to hurt him moving forward as a, as a potential star because people like to see dynamic finishes. If McGregor was just winning decisions all the time, let me tell you, he wouldn't be the star he is. There has to be some kind of dynamic aspect to your game that kind of stands out, whether it's defensively, counters, power, dynamic wrestling something and Sanchez hasn't shown that he's consistently outworked guys in these decisions but none of these decisions have been lopsided really all of them have been competitive and he's never been he's never in my opinion looked dangerous he's looked effective he's looked efficient he's looked disciplined he's looked smart he's looked like he has heart and can set a pace but he doesn't look dangerous to me and uh he doesn't so far I've not seen enough personality out of him to make up for the fact that his fighting style and his fighting results aren't dangerous you don't think, and I don't know about you. You speak on it. Do you when you see him fight? Do you consider him a dangerous, like dynamic, exciting fighter? I don't see it. You talking about Carlton, right? Uh, no, I'm talking about Sanchez right now. Oh no, no. So Sanchez, um, I th- let me think of the way I could put it. I think he is. I'm going to use another. He's like one of those. He's one of those type of athletes like if this was a team sport or another sport where he's not the make or break guy that gets you a championship he's that guy that does the does the dirty work like a role and player. like a role player yes I like i didn't want to use that term but he's like a role player a guy who may not be great in one area he may give you he may give you one two big games a year or something like that but you can't build your franchise around him i think that's that's where sanchez kind of fits in yes he's good but he has never shown those full-scale abilities to be a um, to be a threat, to be a world champion. Especially when you have guys like um, Eduardo Dantas sitting up there. You got Michael McDonald coming into the um, organization now, so you definitely have to watch and see where this guy really ends up. Because you got to wonder: Can he beat a Daniel Strauss? Can he beat a Pat Curran? Can he beat those guys at, at the top? And right now, the answer seems like no. Yeah, the problem with his style is is one of those styles where as long as he can. He can maintain a lead or he can keep it close. He's fine, but he doesn't ever have those moments where if a fight's tight, where he can make that dynamic takedown, which will win you the round, or hit you with that left hook or 
high kick that'll just put your lights out. He can eke by you, he can mm-hmm. out hustle you, but he can't make a definitive statement. And I believe he's the kind of fighter that if he goes down two rounds, he doesn't have the he doesn't have the finishing ability and the dynamic athletic ability to turn a fight around if he's losing it. I don't expect to see him finish somebody late in the third round or late in the fifth round if he gets to a title fight. He's he he's got all this requisite squ- skills and experience. He's kind of like a Sergio Pettis. He's got the skills, the experience, the heart, the drive, the pace, but he doesn't have that athleticism to separate him, separate himself, which means he's going to always be in long, long fights, which means more cage time and more opportunities for his opponent if they do have that skill set to finish him or to put damage on him. And that's my concern with him. So I don't know that he's going to be a future world champion. I know that he's going to be, he might get to a title fight. I don't know that he wins it based off of what I've seen from him so far, but Outside of that, they've done a masterful job at putting him in position and getting people talking about him. Even if it's talking about how the fact that he never really stands out or puts a stamp on a fight, they're still talking about him. And people are still familiar with him. Definitely there. Um, let me see. So, You still want to talk about Karatanov? I sure do. Go ahead. Uh, Karatanov, he, I know a lot of people don't like Chase Gormley, and he doesn't look like an athletic heavyweight. But just from watching him fight, that you can fight. Just because he doesn't look like a ripped-up heavyweight or he doesn't have a lot of big names on his resume, that doesn't mean the dude can't fight. I know I'm not saying he's on the level of a Francis Ngano or Derek Lewis, but if you really look at their records, they haven't beaten guys or really faced guys who not just had a resume of experience and accomplishment, but guys who had physical toughness to get through a couple of tough spots. I mean, when Ngano fought Arvlowski, the first time he touched him, Arvlowski fell down. Not disrespecting Andre, but let's face it, his chin has never been a strong point, and at this point, it's a liability more than anything else. And Derek Lewis has been pushed to and extended by guys who are on three or four fight losing streaks or guys who never really accomplished a whole lot in MMA because he has certain holes in his game. So when Karatanov beat Gormley, that that was a good win to me because Gormley didn't lay, lay down. He came out with a good game plan. He was using fakes. He was moving. He established his jab. He was throwing a wide range of kicks to the head and body to offset um, Karatanov's balance so he couldn't counter him. He couldn't get his own jab going and cut the cage off on him effectively. And if that first round would have ended before it did or ended at the completion, he would have won the first round. He outworked him. He was out hustling him and throwing more variety and more volume. The thing with Karatanov is Karatanov has a chin, which is why it was so shocking that he got knocked out even at this late stage of his game. And he's got some of the better hands as far as heavyweight MMA fighters go. He's comfortable punching in, pu- punching with some with somebody in exchange. He doesn't wait till you get done. He'll punch with you. He can throw all the shots. He can throw the jab, the straight right, the uppercut, the cross, the hook. He works the body and the head. And he's pretty good at establishing a baseline of pressure and slowly amping it up until he can cut the cage off you, off on you and finish you. I think that's what he did to uh, Arvlowski when they fought in the Strike Force Grand Prix. So he put on a good performance. He took some shots. He got in a little bit of a difficult spot, but eventually his pressure got through to Gormley. He cut him off, hit him with that cross and that uppercut. And even though that seems like two basic shots he threw, 90% of heavyweights can't put the, don't have the shot selection, the control, or the awareness to land those shots that clean on, on somebody with even competent defense. And Gormley was showing competent defense in his setups and his footwork and his movement. So even though he's not a big name, that guy can fight. And Caratana scored one of the cleanest knockouts, cleanest and actually most technical knockouts you'll see from a heavyweight. You're used to those big lumbering overhand rights or sweeping left hooks or right hooks. When's the last time you've seen a heavyweight actually throw 
that clean a shot and followed up perfectly. That right cross and then boom, uppercut on the chin, perfect. Lights out, walk off home home run, kind of knockout. That's you don't see that very often. Where would he fit in within the um within the heavyweight division in the UFC? I mean, to be honest, he'd probably he'd probably he'd have to be a top ten heavyweight as long as as long as his chin holds up and he's paying enough attention to his defense and working his jab so his his chin isn't just right up there. I still believe when he got knocked out by the guy, he thought it was going to be easy work, and he walked right into a big shot. Not taking away anything away, but I think if he would have taken that seriously, you'd have seen a lot more of what you saw tonight. He's got better hands than 90% of the guys in heavyweight MMA, including the UFC. He's got enough of a chin where he can take good shots, and physically he's durable enough where he can take good shots. I, I'd say he... he at a stretch, maybe a seven. He might even be a top five heavyweight. I think right now, right now, given the way Travis Brown's been fighting, I think he could be Travis Brown. I think if he fought Derek Lewis before Derek Lewis was able to get off on him effectively with his strikes, I think he could put some work in on Derek Lewis because he's got sharper hands than him. He's got Derek Lewis isn't used to people coming to meet him, and he's not used to guys punching in combination. I don't think you've seen a guy fight Derek Lewis who's punching in combination yet. Um, I I don't know that he gets past in 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 Gano. Because Ngano has that power and he's such a better athlete, and Caratano's on his way down. But I know that Caratano would be the toughest and most offensively skilled guy he's faced, as far as a guy who's willing to actually apply their offense and not look to give him that respect and that space, which is what a lot of guys do. They're so fearful of his athleticism and his strength, they back away from him. They don't want to take a chance on being countered or getting any exchanges. Caratano will take that chance. I'll tell you this Ngano would have to work harder than he's had to work in his last three or four fights in a row and guys like Roy, Roy Nelson at this stage I, I think he, he still could he could beat a Roy Nelson at this stage Roy Nelson Andre Arvlowski Overeem probably would get him at this point Mark Hunt depending on the hunt we see would still have enough to get get him at this stage but all these other heavyweights they have I can't remember their names no disrespect for them but they haven't done enough to have their names be highlighted in my mind I, I think he'd win I think he'd be a top 10 at the worst maybe a top seven heavyweight I'm not. I'm not. I'm not mad at you for that there too, man. I, I, I've long made it clear that I am not the biggest fan of heavyweight MMA. Um, regardless of the organization, I think it is what it is, and people can say what they want. It's just not that exciting for me. So I, I could definitely see where he could strive, um, or he could survive within. Well, the heavyweight those groups. The heavyweights don't do themselves any favor. You have Chet Congo, who has been in MMA for how long, and he's still winning. I mean, he's still winning, and he's winning. He's not winning dynamically, but he he's dominating fights. You have you have Roy Nelson, who, by most other weight classes standards, shouldn't even be anywhere near the close top ten. And he he pushed the two two of the top fighters in the top five. He pushed them to their limit. Derek Lewis barely got by Roy Nelson. You know, Derek mm-hmm. barely got by Travis Brown. So the thing about it is, much like the light heavyweight division, because these guys, the talent level is so low. And the guys have so little experience. If you have talent and you have experience, you can just basically outclass these guys. These young guys come out really hard and really aggressive. But once it gets past a round and a half, that that veteran experience starts setting in, and then you start seeing these guys get walked down. You see it at light heavyweight. You see it at heavyweight. And and it's just it's just amazing that guys at this level, at this age, on the decline, are still winning so clearly and so dominantly. You know, at this point, guys like Caritano should be resume builders. Guys like Czech Congo should be resume builders, like Andre Arlovsky is. But um, no offense to him, but it's a fact. But they're still able to win because the division is so thin. And the fact of the matter is, a lot of those light heavyweights, 
could like Bader, John Jones, they could fight a heavyweight and they'd have an advantage because they have a skill advantage and they'd have an athleticism advantage. They just don't want to take the risk of the punishment that comes with fighting a heavyweight. But to be all, but to be fair and honest, a lot of the people who should be heavyweights are fighting a light heavyweight, trying to take advantage of that size advantage. And that's definitely um, a, a true observation there as well. Um, let's continue looking forward and let's talk about, let's shift gears now and let's talk about UFC 210 set for this Saturday, and it features a main event in the light heavy, heavyweight division that you just mentioned with Anthony Johnson and Daniel Cormier. I read something earlier today, I believe, I hope I read it wrong, but it, it mentioned that uh, Johnson may be the favorite coming in, into this fight. Break down this fight for me, man. Um, uh, from a... From a fan standpoint, it doesn't necessarily excite me. It doesn't. If I wasn't working in the industry, I wouldn't stop and watch this fight. Um, there are other fights on this card that are more interesting to me. Then, and we'll get into that. But I'm looking at this fight here, and it doesn't jump off the page to me. It does it have value at 205? Yeah, it does because the champion needs to, to, to defend his belt. Um, John Jones is there, and yes, I could see Johnson being the number one contender again. But knowing how Johnson fights and how the last bout went. Do you think that this is something that should get fans uh, excited? And, and is this a strong enough title fight to headline a pay-per-view? Well, as far as name value and fan bases, it's not enough of a fight to headline. I mean, Cormier is one of the bigger names on the card, but all that tells me is the card isn't really strong on big names. He, he's, not a, he's not a guy who sells. He never has been. Only time he did numbers is after that huge buildup with John Jones, which took a brawl outside of the fight, you know, every mm -hmm. possible clip of them trash talking and threatening each other's lives to get them, to get the numbers they have. He's not a he's not. A, people don't really like Daniel Cormier. No offense to him. Like, go ahead. And I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in there because actually it's funny. Cause I was I wrote a piece about that literally like two hours ago. So that fight with John Jones did 800 buys, 800,000 buys. The other two pay-per-views that he's headlined did um, 375, and that was that was against um, Alexander Gustafsson, and then he did um, the one against Anthony Johnson, the first one, and that did 250,000 um, buys. So you're totally right there. He's not a fan fan favorite so much so that even Dana White is like, I'm totally confused as why people don't like this guy. I mean, he's represented um, the United States twice in the. Uh, Olympics in 2004 and 2008, even though in 2008 he didn't get to compete. But, I mean, he's been there. This guy, is, he's, I hate to use the term well-spoken, but he's a personality that's kind of translated to um, to Fox broadcast. So he has that in his back pocket as well. Uh, he hasn't done anything wrong. He, he doesn't do anything wrong. And still fans are just like, eh, whenever it comes to this guy stepping, uh, stepping into the cage. I will, I will. We've had this discussion about Cormier ever since almost since we first started the show and it's like he hasn't done anything wrong outside the cage but he did one wrong thing in the cage he lost to john jones and he, first of all daniel cormier was never i'm actually going to do an article on this little but i'm going to get, get let y'all in behind the curtains if you're an a-side type fighter you can't create an a-type a-side fighter you can't create that buzz and interest all you can do is give a fighter a platform and opportunities to sell themselves to sell their stories and connect with the fans if you beat an A-side guy or you beat the best guy, you don't. You might get his title. You might get a win over him. That does not mean you get his fan base. That does not mean you get all his credit and his power. It's not the Highlander. You don't chop his head off and absorb all his power. That doesn't happen. 
And the worst part is Cormier didn't beat the man. Him and him and Johnson are fighting to be second place. And I know that's unfair because because Jones took himself out of the equation. But think about it. How exciting can people be to, for him to fight Johnson? You know, Johnson and Jones was an exciting fight because you want to know how Jones respond if uh, to a guy with that kind of power and that kind of athleticism. But now Cormier beat him. So some of the luster has been taken off that. He fought Alexander Gustafsson. Gustafsson had a tough fight by Jones, but Jones beat him. And Cormier beat him. But Cormier beat him in a little bit less of an exciting and, and dynamic fashion. He, he just did. It didn't, it didn't have the drama. It didn't have the excitement. And once again, he's fighting a guy who Jones had already beaten. And Jones has already beaten Cormier. And he out-wrestled him while he did it. So a lot of Cormier's cachet is taken away because it just seems like the only reason you're in the position you're in is because John Jones is a screw-up and can't seem to function like a normal adult. <laughs> Telephone poles, women, drugs, and PD seem to be his weakness. No, no fighter in the cage can beat him, but his own bad decision-making and lack of maturity constantly stops him in the first round. But that's, 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 part, of the, that's part of the selling point. It, it's hard to get hyped about something when you know you're not seeing the very best. And when D- Cormier had his shot, to beat the very best. If he beats Jones, a lot of this goes away. He's still not popular, but he's clearly the man. But he didn't get the job done. And that's what's that's a shadow that's hanging over him and over Johnson. And the fact that Johnson's already been beaten by Cormier makes him even a little bit less appealing because you know Cormier never beat Jones, but he beat Johnson before. He 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 held his own on the feet, ascent later on in the fight, he outwrestled him, then he submitted him. So it takes some of the luster away. Because you have a guy who's not popular, a guy who's a, though he's a champion, is one of the best, isn't even the best at his weight class, hasn't proven to be the best at the weight class, fighting a guy he's already beaten in a decisive manner. So it takes away some of the luster of the fight. You know, you have two guys who who aren't big names, who have, who've been involved in, Cormier hasn't been involved in controversy, but Anthony Johnson's been involved in a lot of controversy. So they're not exactly the kind of guys who, who generate interest in fans. They, they just really don't. It's not that they're bad fighters, not that they're not world-class. They just, they don't have the personalities, they don't have the histories, and they don't have the fight records to say, I need to, I need to go all in. I have to see these fights. Because in the case of Johnson, he's crumbled every time he's been pushed. In the case of Cormier, the one time he had to establish his greatness as the man, he lost. He lost to Jones. And if you look at his Olympic career, he never won those, he never got the medals either. So it's kind of, I know this might seem harsh, but it might seem like kind of a pattern as a guy who's never been the best. He's been one of the best. He's never been the best. And MMA is just another example of that. So there's a couple of different things that, that you said there. One, I want to look at this. What needs to happen in this main event to make both of these guys, you know, kind of blossom out into their own thing? Like, we don't know when Jones is coming back. We know that we have, we speculate it'll be sometime this year, but we don't know what he'll look like. So, like, let's try for, let, let's, let's not focus on him for a second. What needs to happen in US at UFC 210 on Saturday? What needs to be the headline when um, all this is said and done? to allow the winner to be to be a big name. In my opinion, I think it's Johnson needs to get like a highlight reel knockout, what he's been doing in the past, putting guys to sleep and putting them to sleep in highlight reel fashion. Can that happen? Yes. Um, is it likely? Mm, I'm not too sure. But what do you think needs to happen for, this, for one of these guys to um, become a major star? For Johnson, for Johnson to really, to for Johnson to have any chance, he's it, to be any bigger as a star. He first of all, he has to win the fight. 
that's going to require him to show a little bit more grit and a little bit more poise than he's ever shown. As extended, he's lost by a rear naked choke at least three times. Oh, no, four times. Rich Clemente beat him. Josh Koscheck submitted him. I think Vitor Belfort submitted him. And Daniel Cormier submitted him. And what do all those fights have in common? He lost to better grapplers slash better wrestlers. And once those guys extended the fight, he faded. Johnson is a counterfighter, but he's good when he controls the pace. When you're afraid of his power, when you start reaching for takedowns and forcing takedowns, and you throw in wild shots to keep him off you, what I call the don't hit me punches, when you throw punches so the guy won't throw a punch back at you, that kind of stuff. But when he faces guys who have the mental toughness and the discipline to approach him with deliberate, controlled offense and timely takedowns, and they start grinding on him, they start pushing him, he always seems to find a way out of it. And that, that's been the problem. He, 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 he hasn't ever fought through a truly tough spot. Every time he's been put in a dangerous position, he seems to find a way to lose. Every time. I've never seen a situation where he's been put in a dangerous situation and he's worked a way out of it. I can't find the fight. And I'm not even exaggerating. I'm serious. You find me the fight where he was close to being finished and he found a way out of it, I will apologize to you. I've never seen it. Every time he's been close to being finished, he has been finished. So he's got to show some grit in those spots. Even if he loses by knockout or something, for him not to mentally crumble and get finished when somebody gets him close to a submission or starts working him over would do huge things for his resume. But the second thing he needs to do to win the fight is show some poise. Like power punchers, they always figure my power is an eraser. So I can load up on a shot. If I land a big shot early, I can, I'm, I'm just one step from finishing somebody. So I don't have to be disciplined. I don't have to be careful. That's the mistake he made against Cormier. That's the worst thing to have. He landed that big overhand right off that jab, and then he started going for the finish. He can't do that. He's got to use his footwork, his defensive wrestling, and he's got to actually faint, use his jab and faint. He's got to faint Cormier, get Cormier to react to him, and then counter that reaction. He's got to get Cormier to lift his hands up. When he lifts his hands, kick to the body. Or when he lifts his hands, time it, and when he drops them, hit him with the right, hit him with the hook. Get him, fake him so that he shoots for the takedown and you can sprawl him out. You can sprawl him out, start landing hammer fists, start landing elbows. You're, you're trying to control his movement with the threat of your power and the threat of your explosiveness. But that requires a certain kind of discipline, patience, and cardio that Anthony Johnson has never shown. He'd have to do those things for him to win the fight because if he doesn't win the fight, his chance of being a huge superstar are slim to none. And I know you don't want to mention it, but if Jones comes back, and somehow Cormier loses, and they put Johnson against them. All people are going to remember is that Johnson has lost against everybody who's a better grappler and better wrestler than him, and he's been finished every time he's been put in a tough spot. And there's no way you figure a guy of Jones's caliber won't put him in at least one tough spot. And we know that every time he's in a tough spot, he crumbles. So he has to show poise with deliberately controlled aggression in his counter striking, and he has to be willing to get out of tough spots. When Cormier pushes him, he has to be able to push back. In the first round, second, as long as it goes, he's going to be put in some kind of danger. He's going to be have a pace forced on him, and he's going to have to be able to fight through that and put Cormier in, and fight back in those spots. And he has not fought back. All his KO wins, all his huge wins are like one-punch shots, one round, early second round, or a guy running from him. When guys push back on him, he pushes. When guys draw a line in the sand and say enough's enough, he tends to fold. And he's got to get past it for him to have any chance of being a superstar. Cormier... I don't know what he can do to be a superstar. Beat Jones, maybe? If he knocks out Anthony Johnson on the feet, like they get in exchanges and he and he beats him striking, that might help because that, that, that'd be something we haven't seen. We haven't seen Johnson get outclassed on the feet. We haven't seen someone outwork him, beat him up, rough him up with strikes on the feet. We've seen him get submitted, 
everybody who's worth a damn does that to him. We've seen him get wrestled. Everybody who's worth a damn does that to him. But to see him actually out slicked and out fought on the feet, that would be impressive. That would send, that'd be a new wrinkle. That'd be a new wrinkle in, in, uh, in Cormier's arsenal to, to fight with a guy with that kind of power and that kind of crisp counter-striking ability for him to outwork him on the feet or stop him on the feet. That would be impressive. That being said, it's not going to make him a star because people don't like Cormier. They just don't. He comes across as, he's a good guy, I've heard, but he comes across as kind of smug, kind of a know-it-all, and he talks really tough for a guy who lost to the best guy. Like, I've heard, I've heard fans tell me this. They're like, he talks about how he loves breaking guys, and I saw this dude break. I saw him break against Jones, and now he's talking about how tough he is and embrace the grind, but when, when you were put in the bad spot, you quit too. Like, you didn't quit quit, but you weren't trying to win the fight anymore. So it kind of rings a little false. If he could just even, if he had a decision win over Jones, it'd carry a little bit more weight, but he doesn't have a win over Jones. He has a loss and a decisive one to Jones. And it affects his credibility. The fact that he has a title that he couldn't earn himself affects his credibility. Yeah, it definitely does. It definitely does there. Um, do you think Jones is kind of just sitting in the background, just waiting for this, waiting, like in, in like just waiting? Um, I am. I'm very concerned about him. Um, I'm wondering. You know, I'm not a fan of guys who take time off, but um, I'm wondering what he's going to look like when he comes back into the cage and has to deal with one of these two guys. While I, I'm not saying I don't think he can win the fight, but um, I just, I'm just not happy with where he is right now. Especially, you know, he's still relatively young. So he's supposed to be at the event this weekend. Uh, do you think that win or lose, they bring him into the cage and kind of put him in that position where, hey, you're coming back and you're facing um, the, the champion right out the gate? Or does he take a, uh, a tune-up match? If I was him if I was him and his team, I'd take a tune-up match. I said it, Rousey should have done it. I say it every time they have these guys and just want to put him in with a killer. I know you want to get the bottom line, but let's, let's not throw away a star person because we're trying to prove some kind of point. The thing about it is when you're out that long, you need – you and I don't know Jones's habits. Given what he said about what he used to do training before, I don't know if this long has, has helped him out. Maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. But I would give him a tuna fight. And the main thing about it is even if Jones comes back and he loses to one of these guys, they're not, they're not going to get full credit for it because they didn't beat him when he was in his stride. When he was in his stride, Anthony Johnson was still – wasn't didn't get didn't earn a shot in him. And when he was in his stride, Daniel Cormier got outworked and roughed up and manhandled by him. Those are facts. We can't we can't change we can't change the reality of it. It's, it's still fresh in people's minds. So even if he comes back and he loses, people are gonna people are gonna question. It's gonna be more about John Jones, just like when Ronda Rousey lost. Well, what about Ronda? What about Ronda? Nobody gave a damn about Amanda Nunes. They want to know what was wrong with Ronda. John Jones is one of these guys. When he comes back, all we're gonna ask is what's wrong with John Jones. Or if John never would have gotten that trouble, he never would lose to these kind of guys because he dominated these kind of guys. The best thing that they can hope for is to have a fight have a great fight and and to really just hope that jones comes back because there's not the like i said the division is not particularly big and there's just not a whole lot of guys who you can keep running at at cormier and all the guys you're running at him are guys who could not beat jones so all he's doing is beating guys up that jones beat up in an easier a more dominant fashion which doesn't help the new champion you know if he would have one shot at Gust- gustafson wow man maybe maybe we got something but he went life or death with them that doesn't, help his, that doesn't help his argument. And you're trying to you're trying to make statements that help your argument to say that I've closed this gap, I've improved. 
if you look at Cormier, actually, it seems like he's still getting older. He's not a young guy. He's not on the front end of his career or the middle. He's on the back end of it. It seems like Cormier doesn't take shots as well as he used to. I don't know if his cardio is as well as he used to. And, and he hasn't shown up. He's, he's improved, but he hasn't shown the kind of huge jumps in strategy or technique like Jones showed when he was in his prime. So you have to wonder how much longer can Cormier keep this up? The age itself is a concern for me. The age and the fact that he's been in such tough fights, it's fight after fight after fight very recently. You wonder when is that going to catch up to him? You know, father time doesn't, doesn't ever lose. And he's, he's a lot closer to that point than, than Jones is. He's a lot closer than Johnson. I don't, I don't think he has much room for margin for error. So he needs to get these fights in and get them in quickly before he starts fighting drastically. So, Man, yeah, I, I, this is why I'm not a, I'm not honestly, honestly I'm not a fan of either of the heavy divisions in mixed martial arts. I think that that's just I remember when 205 used to be the division to be in. You know, they had so many big names there, and that's where the big fights were. And that's completely changed. I mean, you got guys like um, Wanderley Silva about to come back. You got Shogun still out there. You still have Quinn out there. You have so many guys that are just hanging around. Who, yeah, they're big names. They're stars. You know, it is what it is. They're crossover. They have crossover appeal some of them, but they're this old. division is struggling right now. They're old. They're not in their athletic prime. Rampage Jackson, we went back to five. He's fighting the same way he's fought. Now, he's not He's not improving anymore. He's not making huge leaps and bounds improvement in athleticism, pre preparation, or technique. Daniel Cormier's is he really fighting that much different than he did when he fought Jones? Is he really fighting that much different than he fought Gustafsson? Is he really looking that much more athletic or dynamic? What changes can he make at this stage? Just this late in his career. I know he hasn't been in MMA that long, but he's been in wrestling for a long time. He's getting up there in age. There's not going to be a whole lot of new development. And the worst part is there's not a lot of fresh young guys who shown themselves to be a step above for him to face. They're going legitim to legitimize himself. Jones took how many fights for Jones to become the best? He had to fight a lot of fights. I don't know that Cormier is going to be around for another two years to stake his claim. And Johnson is, is, is younger, but how long has he been in? What kind of damage did he do to his body over the years making that welterweight cut? How's that affected him now? Exactly. People forget how many how many fights John Jones had to take before he got to that point. I remember I remember him watching him fight Vladimir Matryoshenko, Matt Hamill, all those guys back in the day. And you know, he it took it was a slow burn for him. Um, we're not in that same space now. Now it's kind of like everyone expects to be a star the next day, but um, we're in a different space, and right now the UFC is struggling to find someone who can be that star, which brings me to the next person I want to talk about on this card, someone who I believe the UFC was ready to hitch their wagon to because they thought he was going to be a big star, but it just has not worked out that way, and that is one Chris Weidman. Um, he's coming off of two losses, two knockouts, two stoppages, one by Luke Rockhold and one by um, Yoel Romero, who completely destroyed his face. But even worse than that, he's coming off of injury upon injury upon injury. So when you look at this fight against the very dangerous Gegard Musasi, you know, Wyman's saying a lot of the right things. You know, he's focused on himself for this training camp. He got back to being selfish. He didn't go travel with Gian Vellante when he fought in Brazil. He didn't go travel with guys in Las Vegas when other teammates fought. He's been focusing on just himself. But is that going to be enough to get the win over the um, – Dreamcatcher on Saturday, and if so, how does he do it? You know, I, I'm not really a big fan of when fighters say that. I know the focus and the blah blah blah, and you make the time for yourself. I get all that, but a lot of times when fighters talk about their injuries and this happened and all the trouble in my home, they always mention that stuff. 
but they never mentioned the actual thing that got them in trouble in the fight. He'll be like, well, I wasn't focused. How about this? Your defense has always been terrible, and you finally face a guy who's athletic enough and skilled enough to take advantage of your awful defense. And in the case of Chris Weidman, and I, I did a piece on this on MMA ratings, Chris Weidman has, has never beaten great fighters. He's never been beaten great athletes or great dynamic offensive talents. You can say, you can look at the names, but he, they did what they do in boxing. They have you face faded guys with names who still have some talent. So you can say, well, I've beaten this caliber guy. I faced this caliber guy. He beat up a bunch of old guys on his way to the top, a bunch of old guys and second tier guys. Tom Lawler, he's got heart. He, he's fight. He gives a money, fans their money worth. Tom Lawler is not an elite fighter. Damian Maya fights at, it fights at welterweight now. And he's he was up in age back then. He fought Damian Maya. He fought Anderson Silva, who was on the back nine of his career then. He fought a non-TRT Vitor Belfort. He fought Leota Machida when Leota Machida was dropping weight classes because he no longer he could no longer compete at a bigger weight class because his speed and his resistance, his punch resistance was starting to fade. And even in that fight, it was a struggle. Even against uh Anderson Silva, everybody talks about how he dominated. He didn't walk, he didn't just walk through Anderson Silva. Let's let's not make that up. He might have beaten him up, he might have roughed him up, but he he wasn't just doing whatever the hell he wanted to him. It, it, he wasn't taking him down left and right and just controlling him and keeping him where he wanted. He wasn't. In the first fight, Anderson started got for, started trying to bait him. He paid for it. But it wasn't like Anderson had no success. It wasn't like Anderson couldn't get in and going. It wasn't like he one-shotted Anderson. That didn't happen. Against Machida, he built a lead. And then just as likely, when Machida didn't fold, he got tired. He got out quick. He got knocked around the cage. And he, he got put on his heels. That that happened. Even Belfort, in the first, first minute of that fight, Belfort hurt him and had him up against the cage and was peeing off on him. People like to forget these facts because they're Chris Weidman fans. Oh, he destroyed him. You didn't see the same fight I saw. He was in trouble in all those fights. And Chris Weidman has made a history of beating up faded older guys who aren't what they used to be. And he's looked poised and he's looked controlled and he's looked disciplined. But it's easy to do that when you have every physical advantage. It's like you're a grappler. Imagine you grappling a guy who's not just weaker and who might who might be comparable in skill, but they're old, they're slow, they're not athletic anymore. And they don't, they don't, they can't go for a long period of time. They might have a few moments, but eventually you're going to walk them down and outwork them and finish them because they don't have what it takes to compete past a certain point. They just don't have it anymore. That's what he did to those guys. But when he fought Rockhold and he fought Romero, then you started seeing the chinks in the armor, the ones I've been calling for for months. Remember, we talked about who's overrated, underrated. I said him and Rockhold were overrated. And the fact of the matter, when he fought Rockhold, the same Chris Weidman who used the control poise and the layered striking, and he hit the unhittable Leona Machida, that rock hole, when he couldn't dictate pace and range with his size and his length, what happened? He threw a ridiculous spinning back kick and got taken down and beaten within an inch of his life for a quarter of a round for it. And then he got sent back out and got taken down and got beat up for another quarter of a round as a result of it. When he fought Yo Romero, yeah, he was imposing his will. Yeah, he was outworking him. But remember this. Everybody outworks Real Romero because he picks spots to fight in. Derek Brunson outworked him. Tim Kennedy was outworking him. He just hits you with these big spots of offense. And depending on how good you are defensively, you either get away from him and minimize him or you get hit by him and he starts taking over. He outworked him, but Romero was very smart. Romero was timing him, figuring out his timing, figuring out his pattern. As soon as he did, one shot, fight over. And that doesn't happen against the caliber guys he'd been beating. But once he started facing better athletes that gave him less room for margin, you start seeing the holes in his game. He can't fight going backwards. He's not a very creative striker. He's kind of limited. He's smart. He's disciplined. He's aware, but he's not very 
layered in his striking. He's very meat and potatoes. He's effective with it. He's very meat and potatoes. He doesn't have fast feet. His defense is predicated on him pressuring you and his length and his physicality and his wrestling scaring you from opening up because you're afraid he's going to get his hands on you. Rocco wasn't afraid for him to get his hands on him. Romero wasn't afraid to get for Chris Weidman to get his hands on him. And against those guys, he looked, he didn't look like the world beater. He didn't look like an all-time great. He looked like a very good fighter facing better ones. And that's the thing that nobody wants to talk about. He's not a top-end athlete. As good as he is, his striking isn't top-end. It's, it's supported by his grappling, his physicality, and his wrestling. You take those things away, he gets hit a lot more than you're used to seeing him get hit. He misses a lot more than you're used to him missing. He's not able to put combinations together as well as you're used to seeing him. And against the better athletes, that always happens. Once again, he's facing a guy who's a, who, who's a comparable athlete, if not a superior one, but a guy who's got legitimate skills in every single area of MMA, which Romero and Rockhold do not have. So that's why this is such a tough matchup for him. Because once again, he won't just have a huge size advantage and a reach advantage and a strength advantage and a youth advantage. And every time he's fought guys who he didn't have those advantages over, he has lost every time he's fought those guys. Well, except for Uriah Hall, except but Uriah Hall's a head case. He's so hit or miss, you can't depend on anything. But when he's generally fought guys who are young and guys who have athletic ability, he's, he's looked human and he's looked vulnerable and he's been finished both times. That's not a good sign for this fight. Definitely. That's the, and yeah, I'm I'm very concerned. I I think he's gonna lose this fight, um, because I think he's dealing with someone who can stop stop his takedowns long enough to put together combinations to really hurt him. And um, Gegard Masasi, Masasi, go ahead. In the open cage, he can because Masasi's footwork and his length will allow him to get that jab, those low kicks, the body kicks, the front kicks to keep him off him. He can faint. Masasi's not as physical as Weidman. If Weidman gets his hands on him, he might be able to grind him and work him down but in the open cage Weidman's too slow Weidman for as good an athlete as he's supposed to be he is slow 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 on his feet who is Weidman watch that fight again with Rocco not just his punches watch how he moves around the cage watch how Rocco moves watch how Dude, that, all, that 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 spinning kick is all you got to point to it was awful the, the spinning kick that he threw that set everything up was just like I could have thrown that spinning kick, and I've never thrown a spinning kick in my life, seriously. I could have thrown it at least six times in the amount of time it took him to get all the way around. But, I mean, that's neither. It, it's a good that's, point. That's, it's an example of that athleticism. Had he been a better athlete, no. he might have had it. Even with wild shots, when you're a really good athlete, you have dynamic athleticism, you have a chance of landing that. But when you're that slow and your feet take that long to get in position and you're against a, a guy who doesn't fear your wrestling and is a better athlete, what happens? We saw what happens. And he's a guy with world championship experience who beat the best fighter of all time. How do you make that kind of strategical mistake in a fight? How do you make that mistake with his, with his and his experience? How do you make that mistake? Definitely true. Definitely true. So I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I do apologize. No, 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 no. You're definitely, you're, you're, you're totally fine. You're totally fine with that. Um, go ahead. The, the problem with Masasi, Masasi's only problem is Weidman is very physical. You have to be very physical to lock up with um, Romero and even Rockhold to a degree because Rockhold could fight a light heavyweight or heavyweight. He's a big dude. And Musasi is not terribly physical, but Musasi has such an advantage level on the feet. I mean, it's not even close. The level of skill. I mean, Musasi's handled K1 strikers in K1. He's got legitimate stand-up chop. Weidman's just not that good standing up. He's very effective. He's very smart. Is he very dynamic or layered or technical? 
His defense isn't great. He can't fight off the back foot. And everything he does is pretty much fundamental basic stuff. He just uses his physicality and his ability to pry, apply pressure to do that. But he hasn't responded well when guys put pressure on him. He hasn't responded well when guys have put combinations on him. He hasn't responded well when guys have put variety on him. He just hasn't done it. When you attack him one way, he can key it in and take you down. When you start showing that variety or switching things up a little bit or really start putting pressure on him, every time he's gotten backed up, backed up by Vitor, backed up by Lyoto, backed up by Rockhold, backed up by Romero. Every time it's happened, and he's never been effective, worth a damn, backing up. He just can't do it. And that's going to be what Musasi is most likely going to do, trying to hit him with the volume, hit him with the variation, and make him fight at a pace and make him work. And in the open cage, I don't think Weidman's going to be able to take him down and keep him down. Up against the cage, maybe. But getting him up against the cage is going to be really hard because Musasi doesn't have slow feet. Musasi has good footwork, and Musasi has a better range of weapons he can use. So it's kind of like, how is Chris going to get this fight to win? He's going to have to walk through fire, and then he's going to have to really put it on Musasi, unless Musasi is totally checked out. But Musasi's been on a mission. He wants to get paid. He wants some acclaim. He wants some notice. And Chris Weidman's already got his money. He's got his championship. He's got his new deal with the UFC. He's already got what Musasi wants. And I think Musasi's on a mission, and, and that, that doesn't spell good things for Mr. Weidman. It definitely, definitely doesn't. Um it definitely does, and I'm and I'm really concerned to see what this fight looks like and what it looks like at the end. I just hope that Chris's dad doesn't jump into the cage and have something else to say after his son drops another bout. There's another fight can that's kind of caught my eye too. Can I ask you one question real quick about Weidman? Go ahead. Are you even con- like he came off a really brutal knockout with Rocco because he got a beating before he w- they stopped it, and that that shot with Romero was just one big shot, but it was a hell of a shot because he was shooting while he got hit with that knee. Is there any concern for you that maybe they should like give him more time off? Because I mean, that's two back-to-back KO losses. Exactly. I mean, is there anybody concerned? And am I just being overly? I mad? think so. And the worst thing about it is, I feel like he's not doing. I don't know what his financial situation is like, and you know, and you know that athletes want to keep getting out there, keep getting back in to the realm of competition to try to get that win back. So I understand that point. But I don't know what his financial situation is like, but someone needs to kind of say, you know, maybe, maybe you should. We should a look at an easier fight. It, actually, that kind of is a, is a great segue because um, if you listened to Ray Longo talk um, about him uh, this past weekend on MMA Hour, he was dead serious on, and it was uh, some of the things he said, and it was kind of it was a breath of fresh air, but it also was concerning at the same time. He talked about the idea that Weidman plateaued um, at some point in time, and he didn't become, you know, he wasn't growing the same way he was as a fighter, and that there were a lot of concerns that they were, um, headed in the wrong direction, that they didn't expect things to get, they being the, um, Sarah Longo fight team, they didn't expect things to get as bad as they have with Weidman right now, so, I mean, that, that tells you a whole lot right there. What were they, like, and, and no offense to these guys, because Longo's very good, he's very experienced, I get it, but if he's, if he's plateaued, and you know he's facing these caliber guys who are finishers, what did they expect to happen? Uh, good question. You know, if, if I was, if very... I'm training you and I see you plateauing and I know you're going up against the youngest, the most athletic and the most comparable skilled guys you, you face guys in their prime and you haven't been beating those type of guys to get the title. How do I, how do I not say, Hey, you got to take some more time. We got to get really ready. You need to be locked in because these guys aren't just skilled. They're not just athletic. They're finishers. If you don't, if you come in and you give them that route, the room that you gave Belfort or you gave Machida, um, you're going to get finished. That that spinning kick might not might not have cost him against Belfort. It might not have cost him against Silva or Machida. 
that was that's that's a death sentence. That's a death sentence against Rockhold. That was death sentence against Rockhold. And then he took that beating and you put him right back in. And if he wasn't focused, how do you put him in with another guy who was known for coming and light and icing guys with great chins with one shot? Brunson has a great chin. What happened to him? Tim Kennedy has a great chin. What happened to him? Machida, he almost killed that dude. He beat him worse than Whiteman. He beat him worse than White than Whiteman did. He almost killed Machida mm-hmm. in that ring. How do you put him in there if you know he's not super focused and not super on point? You're 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 shortening his career. And I know they he he wants to jump right back to the line. Remember when Anthony Pettis wanted to jump right back to the line and kept racking up losses and punishment because he kept trying to jump right back to the front instead of working his way back up, trying to take that shortcut by beating that big name. It hasn't worked out, and I'm never a big fan of that, especially if you're saying a guy is plateauing and not focused. I don't know that you can let him take those fights. I'm totally, I totally agree with you on that. And, now, and like we have this fight right now that may not be the best move for him in his career. Like this, this is a big, um, this is a big, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a big example of why. Why, what's the word I'm looking for? I just, I, I just drew a blank. Why um tune-up fights, excuse me, why tune-up fights are so important because you lose three fights in a row, we may not, like, you don't ever know what the UFC may do now. They're cutting guys left and right, not re-signing guys left and right. You lose three fights in a row, your entitled, your your entire career um suffers from that. And the way the middleweight, the middleweight division is stacked right now. I mean, there are some killers there. There's guys surging right and left. Every time you turn around, you got Robert. You got Robert Whitaker coming up. You got guy. You got Derek Brunson who may have lost that fight to Anderson Silva, but he's still. I mean, you got so many guys that are looking good at middleweight right now. That if Wyman drops another fight, you don't know what where where he's he's going to go. And it's not, it's not just that. It's how you lose a fight. It's one thing if you get if you if you kind of get out hustled and out wrestled and kind of chipped up a little bit. But what if he what if he what what if he wins Mumasasi but he gets really punished? He's already taken a lot of abuse. He's taken more abuse in the last two fights than he's taken in his first five or six in the UFC and probably in his career. Or, and what worse, what if what if Musasi ices him? That's not just three losses, three stoppage and most likely brutal stoppage losses in a row. How do you rebuild that? And if he's still gonna he's still gonna think I'm a world championship guy, just made a mistake. You can't push him with a big name anymore. He's clearly not at that level. And he would have lost to all three guys who were ahead of him, which essentially means he goes way to the back of the line. He's got to literally work his way all the way back up because he's lost to every other contender there. And Jacare wouldn't want to fight him. I'm, like, I'm not fighting you. I, are you nuts? I beat Musasi. What am I fighting you for? I mean, it's just, I mean, if it works, it works. But it, that doesn't mean it's, even if he beats him, it's no less risky. And it's a big chance to take because if he loses three in a row at middleweight, I don't know if I want to see him at light heavyweight. What do you do with him? And if he wants, if they cut him, what other organization is going to take him for big money when you're coming off of three consecutive stoppage losses? He's not that big a name. He's not that popular. He's a good fighter, but he's not he's not popular like that. He don't bring in ratings like that. He definitely doesn't, man. He definitely doesn't. Um, and it, it's going to be something that is is going to be crazy to see if if he loses this and this be his uh, third fight. Third loss in a row. Um, one thing I want to talk about. I want to talk about Musasi a little bit too, because we really didn't dive too deeply into him. Um, what do what do you attribute to his um, his turnaround? He has Musasi has the same problem that um, a lot of fighters have. Masvidal has, and um, his it's like one of those fights where he, if he's not, in my opinion, if he feels like he's not getting beaten up, he doesn't feel like he's losing. A lot of fighters do that. 
me personally, I've never been a fighter, but when I spar people, if the guy's not really touching me up, I'm like, oh, well, I'm winning the round. If we were scoring around, I'm winning it. But you're not doing enough to win the round. With Musasi, the sense of urgency is there, like how Masvidal used to give away rounds and kind of just sleepwalk. Musasi still has that face like he's sleepwalking, but he's fighting with urgency now. He's going to prove a point. He's throwing with volume. He's regularly throwing combinations. He's throwing with mean intentions, and he's trying to finish. He's making it a point to try and finish. He's not just out-techniquing and out-classing guys anymore. He's going in there to beat them up and to, and to put a stamp on the fight because he's trying to get paid. He's trying to make himself stand out as possible, and close decision wins that aren't cutting it. So he's showing out there trying to put it into guys and turn fights around dramatically, and that's been the biggest. It's just been a mentality switch. Instead of playing it slow, playing control, slowly chipping away at guys, he's coming out there looking to, looking for problems. He's not figuring out the problems as they come. He's looking to cause a problem. And that's what he, that's the biggest difference to me. He his skill set, he's getting better still. The wrestling's got a lot better, especially the defensive wrestling. But what's actually changed is that mindset. Musasi's one of the best all round, most comprehensively skilled fighters in MMA. And he's one of the top three most experienced. He's like Jorge Masvidal except a light heavyweight. So there's nothing he hasn't seen. There's nothing he can't really do in the cage. It's just a matter of is he going to go out there and take the win or is he going to go out there and do his business and see what happens is what he usually does. He's no longer doing it. He's not taking any chances. And that makes him easier to finish because he's going to give you those opportunities, but it makes it very dangerous for you because if he gets you hurt, he's going to close the show. And, and he's, he's one of the, he's one, like I said, he, he's beating bigger guys. He's beating stronger guys. He's beating better wrestler. He, he's beating almost every kind of type of guy you have. So he's prepared for anything you have. The thing is, like I said, the urgency is the urgency there. Is he going to go out there and take the fight? Or is he just going to try and just outclass you? Because sometimes it's not about, it's like Stephen Wright always says, sometimes you just can't outclass and technique somebody. Sometimes you've got to go and take the win. Misha Tate took the win from Holly Holm. Some people just, they just glide by and, oh, I did enough. I did enough. T Stephen Thompson thought he did enough. Tyrone Woodley thought he did enough. Misha Tate said, I haven't done enough. I need to go and, I need to go and punctuate this win. I need to go take this win. That's what Musashi is doing now. He's mm -hmm. taking Jorge Masvidal against Cerrone, the normal one, would have won the first round, backed off, went three rounds, and complained about the decision. He said, I'm not leaving any chances this time. If I get him hurt, I'm finishing him. If I don't finish him in this round, I'm coming out trying to finish him in the next one. And that's a big difference to make. And that's different. That's what's happening. Technically-wise, he's, he's always been better than 90% of the fighters you'll face. It's just he's never had the urgency. He's never had the push. And now he does. Gonna be, I think that's 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 one of my fights to watch right now, and, and I'm kind of most excited to see what the outcome is of that um, bout itself. I'm also looking forward to seeing a lightweight fight between Will Brooks and Charles Oliveira. I wrote about this for the site this week because I think it's important to point out that neither Brooks nor Oliveira are ranked right now. But this is a fight with two guys who could I could see definitely be ranked within the um, top 15, and they can make noise within that whole whole division area. I mean, obviously you have Brooks, who's a former champion. You have Oliveira, who seems to be made of highlight reel submissions. So talk to me about this fight here, man. I'm I'm interested in seeing who you think's win, who you think is going to pull out the win. Because in one hand you got Brooks, who's like the converted wrestler, who definitely likes to grapple. He's going to be against a guy who can submit him against from every, from nearly every angle. How do you see this fight playing out? Oliveira is a, like a really good fighter. He's dynamic with his submissions. He's to a degree he's dynamic on the feet too. Because he's he'll go out he'll go out there and he'll push the pace he'll try to pressure you he'll try to put some heat on you the problem is his defense is terrible his striking isn't super clean 
it's not very diverse. He's not feigning. He's not working the jab and, and setting up all his combinations on there. He's not going to the head and body or body and head to set up his shots and find a rhythm. He's really straightforward. And he comes out with explosiveness and aggression. And he essentially tries to put shots on you and overwhelm you with that. The problem with that is when you have bad defense, that means you're running into shots. And he's a guy who doesn't take as good shot as it is now. Frank Yeager is not a power puncher. And Frank Yeager had him on skates. I don't care what Frank Yeager did to uh, whoever he knocked out with one shot. Uh, that doesn't impress me. Frank Yeager is not a power puncher. You don't land a thousand punches a fight and not put somebody on their ass once and tell me you, you hit with real power. He doesn't. Sorry. And he had that dude on skates. Oliveira can come out there and jump on Brooks because Brooks is good at long range. Brooks isn't really good in the pocket. You can get Brooks in the pocket. Roy Pearson has some moments in the pocket. He's not comfortable there. He's not super sharp on his defense or his counters. So you can get to him in there. And if you can get and you can get clinches on him. The problem with Brooks is very good in the clinches. And that's where Oliveira likes to work too. But Oliveira is not going to be able to muscle him in the clinches. Oliveira is not going to be able to take Brooks down from the clinches. And I don't think Oliveira is going to be able to defend. He'll probably let Brooks take him down because he figures, oh, he takes him down. I can submit him. But Brooks, Will Brooks hasn't often been submitted on the ground. First of all, he's a he's a top ten he's a top tier athlete. So even when he's put in bad spots, he has athleticism to work his way out, or just hold on, or must or explode his way out of bad spots on the ground, or bad submission hold, or when somebody's got a submission on him. And secondly, he's a very disciplined and measured guy on the ground. He's used to fighting five round fights, so he doesn't just go all out trying to win these quick rounds. He's used to having to be patient and deliberate and slowly break the guy down. So he doesn't give you the openings. He doesn't force these wild scrambles these other guys do. He gets control. He gets his position. He does his damage. If you start getting out, he finds ways to reassert control or to get away from the situation so he isn't caught. That's a bad sign for Oliveira because a lot of Oliveira's submissions are based on guys trying to explode out of things to, treat, to create scam, scrambles or try to land big offense on the ground. And they, they give him the openings. Because everybody knows Oliveira can't take really good shots. He can't take a lot of punishment. He just really can't. And Will Brooks, while not a world-class striker, he's still big, strong, athletic. He still generates a lot of power. So when he starts putting hands on him, Oliveira's not going to take it. Oliveira doesn't just not take shots very well. He doesn't react to shots very well. So he can't hide when he's hurt. And in much like Anthony Johnson, if you put him in a bad spot, he'll look for a way out. I'm not saying he can't fight. I'm not saying he doesn't have any heart. But the fact of the matter is, watch the fight. You start putting shots on him, he starts looking away, he starts ducking away, he starts giving up submissions because he doesn't want it like that anymore. And that's just that's just a fact of who he is as a fighter. So when, when Brooks starts putting that punishment on him, he's going to fold because defensively on the ground against strikes, he's not great. On the feet, he's not great against defending strikes. A lot of his success is his, his volume, his intensity with his own offense, and the fear of him getting you down and grappling you. And submitting you. That's the fear. Will Brooks doesn't fear him in any of those spots. And the one spot he's good at, he might be able to get Brooks in in the pocket. He's just he's just as likely to get hit in the pocket as Brooks is, except Brooks takes a better shot and gives a better shot than he does in the in the pocket. So he he can't I don't know that he really wins in the pocket. He's not gonna win at long range. Brooks is I think a better kicker, and I think Brooks moves in and out of range a little bit better. And to be honest, I don't think Brooks is going to have to look for him because I think Oliver is going to come pressure him. So Brooks can just stay on the outside and chop him up with kicks and punches and knees and whatever else he needs to do. I really think it's Brooks' fight to lose. They've actually done a pretty good job of putting Brooks in position for fights where he can win and look good in. This is another fight built for him to win and look good in, and I expect him to do so. Oliver just doesn't have the durability, and I don't know that he has the 
the mental toughness anymore to work out of bad spots when he's put into it. Recently, he's just been folding left and right every time he's been put in a bad spot. You just see his body language saying that he doesn't want he doesn't want it anymore. And 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 I think Brooks is going to put him in those spots very early. Brooks can't afford to lose his fight because he's trying to get move up the he's trying to get ranked. But um, I don't see how he I don't see how he loses it. And to be honest, the future for Brooks looks good. He's young. He hasn't been in MMA very long. He's still learning his style. He's still learning his skills. He's still refining his IQ and his seasoning. And he's already been a champion of an organization. He's still on his way up. He's got another three, four, five years of moving up physically and up technically and up in regards to seasoning. Oliveira has been fighting. For, he's not young. He's not old, but he's been fighting for a long time. He's like Stefan Strew. He's been fighting for a really long time. He's been fighting at real high level of guys. And he's been getting finished in the most dynamic fashion by the top end guys that catches up to you after a while your body doesn't recover from it your athleticism suffers and your ability to fight through punishment and to absorb punishment suffers and i think all those things have been highlighted in his last the last few years of him fighting he's put up good fights but every time he's had to take real punishment and fight through he's never been able to do it never I mean, I'm with you on that. I always think back to that fight against uh, was a Cub Swanson, where he took a bad shot, and it wasn't even it didn't look like that bad of a shot, but he took a shot and crumbled, and it was almost like it was like a it was like a delayed crumbling, as well too. And I remember watching that like, huh, like it really just kind of stood out as like what happened there. It was like in slow motion. He's fighting. He's bouncing. He's moving around. He gets hit. He steps back. Fight. Bounces. Moves around. And then just crumbles down down to the mat. So I definitely see how you can um how you can point that out because it it looked it looked bad. It definitely looked looked bad. And um and I I can see how that could be a problem in this weekend's fight. Just look at the Pettis fight. Pettis hadn't backed anybody up or really outlanded anybody on the feet, especially with the hands, in in years. He didn't do it to Alvarez. He didn't do it to Rafael Dos Anjos. He, he hadn't done it to anybody. He didn't do it to Holloway. He didn't do it to Barboza. But he was backing Oliver up. He was hurting Oliver. He's forcing Oliver to take shots. He hadn't done that to anybody with the hands ever, really. And he was doing it to Oliver. Oliver just didn't want to engage him. He tried it. And when he started getting beat up, he started getting desperate. And, and, and Anthony Pettis isn't the biggest hitter. Kicks, yeah. But with his hands, he's not one of the biggest hitters in any division. And Oliver was scared to engage, just like he was scared to engage with Max Holloway as well. It's just a lot of suspicious innings, and we're not in there with him, so we can't say he just totally quit. But when you even have to ask the question, that's when you start. guys need to start wondering about other careers or changing their fighting styles because they're no longer mentally, mentally built or physically built for the fight they want to have. You know, he's no lo- if he's no longer willing to take that punishment, that means he can't take advantage of those scrambles. And those <laughs> Because those scrambles and submissions—excuse me, sorry—but those those are thank you. Those are those attempts at submissions and, and hidden switches and reverses. Those if you miss them or you don't get them clean, those open you up to punishment on the ground. Those open to you punishment when, when you're getting back to your feet. So if he can no longer take it or he no longer wants to take it, a whole, the best segment of his game becomes less effective now because he knows that the people know that if they can get out of this spot. He can't handle whatever they're going to put back on him. So even his area of strength is now area of weakness. If you can put some pressure on him or put, put some damage on the feet. Mm-hmm. So let's see. There's one. There's a couple other bouts I wanted to talk about too. Talk to me about the, this this women's fight, man. Um, I was just doing a little bit of research on it. The fight between Cynthia Calvillo and Pearl Gonzalez. Talk to me about this fight. Gonzalez is making her USA UFC debut. 
and Calavio, if I already say her name, is a team alpha male fighter, 4-0. Uh, I think this is their second fight in the UFC. Uh, I was just catch I was just catching up with them both on Instagram and you know they fit the mold. They're both beautiful women and they're getting in the, in their fight at 115 pounds. Talk to me about this fight and um Talk to me about the talent and skill level of, of these two women because they're both relatively new, 11 fights combined between them. So um, what is it about these two that stands out, and what do you expect to see? It's hard to really gauge their skill level because, I mean, Cindy, she only, she beat um, Bobby Amanda Bobby Cooper, I think that's his name, and Cooper just made a really bad mistake trying to engage with her with the kicks. I mean, that was just – you don't engage a better grappler when you're not great at kicking, and you don't set it up right. That was just a – she got out grappled, and we knew that was going to happen. Her grappling's been a, a hole in her game, especially when you're in a scramble with a team alpha male fighter. Nobody wins scrambles or dominates scrambles as much as team alpha male fighters. I think if you watch the footage, I don't even know if they're capable of losing scrambles in a fight. I, I don't know if I've ever seen it. So it's really hard for me to gauge, and Pearl Gonzalez is the same with her. I, it's, it's, from what I understand, they're both similar fighters. It's just one might be a little bit bigger. In the case of Gonzalez, more physical more of a damage they might be comparable on every level from striking to grappling to wrestling it just from my knowledge Gonzalez is a little bit more durable a little bit more physical hits a little bit harder the reason they're getting this spot and it might be unpopular for me to say all it's because they're attractive and second of all this is for you Mr. Tyron Woodley they're minorities but you know why they're getting put on a main card they're getting a lot of hype because their demographic supports combat sports they're both. What do you mean by that? Like, like, let me. Ooh, what do you mean by that? The UFC has been trying to get into the, the Hispanic demographic. I mean, boxing, boxing. A lot of what makes boxing bigger, even for the black fighters, is when you're fighting a Hispanic fighter because all the Hispanic fighters and their teammates, hey, you're gonna shut Mayweather up. Oh, you're gonna shut the slick, fast talking, power punching at black fighter down. It's like a nationalistic pride. They they really back their fighters. If you're if if you got the respect of the fans, you're good. You instantly get ratings. You instantly get pay-per-view buys. The biggest star in boxing right now is is Saul Canelo. He's the biggest one. The next oh. the next biggest star is another Hispanic fighter, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. And who? Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. has not fought for years. He's he's the biggest star. It's the biggest star, is it? No, that's not true. You got guys like like Triple G that are bigger stars than him. They're bigger stars, but when you look at their pay-per-views, his pay-per-views, Chavez's last pay-per-view did better numbers than Golovkin's better pay-per-view. Golovkin's pay both his pay-per-views. He just did. It's just a fact. Him versus Martinez was bigger than anything they had. Him versus Canelo will be 10 times bigger than anything Golovkin's had. It's just a fact. And Golovkin's at the top of his game and he needs, he, he's not getting big pay-per-views or he's getting big ratings. Chavez isn't at the top of his game and I guarantee you he will sell more pay-per-views than Golovkin because they back their fans. The UFC was trying to do that with Mexico with with uh, Kane, they try to do. They're trying to do a Yair Rodriguez. They know if they can get somebody who who can generate interest in this fan base, this fan base will support. They will travel. They will put all their money in. They will do all the things necessary to get those people star opportunities, title opportunities, big fight opportunities. They've been trying to do this for years. Everybody knows it. UFC's admitted it. Everybody knows it. Tito Ortiz can never do it. Kane Velasquez couldn't do it. These people, they're not just on, they're not on the main card just because they're sterling records. Neither one of them have done anything in the UFC. How are they getting a main card fight? So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to argue about that now. One thing you are, so let's, let's look at the pay-per-view buys number first. Um, 
So yeah, you're right. Glovkin Jacobs did um, 170 at most. That's that, that's what I'm seeing so far when it comes to pay-per-view vines. Chavez Alves Alvarez, excuse me, did more than a million. So you're right when it when it comes to that aspect there. I'm gonna push back to, on you when it comes to these two women stepping in, in, into the cage. Is their demographic Hispanic, the, the, the Hispanic audience, or 18 the 35 year old men? This, this, I can because I think that their audience is more 18 to 35 year old men than it is the his Hispanic marketplace. I can see that to a degree, but the fact of the matter is, if they if they if they get if they get if they get their demographic, which they get that whole demographic. But those people get behind them and they start you get them training and you get the standards built up and you get that real big fan base for them it'll match anything else because they won't just be invested in them as attractive girls or a sideshow they will be like these are our fighters we support them we're gonna go wherever they're gonna go that's an extra five ten percent kick in ratings that's an extra 10 15 out that's five two thousand five thousand ten thousand extra people people just don't un understand how rabid those fans are about people they get behind. And it's like, I've said this before, I said this with Tyron Woodley, Kevin Lee was interviewed and he said the same thing. The African-American market has not been broken into. They haven't gotten a guy who generates enough interest to make it worth their time. But the Mexican-American market has already proven to get them some kind of rate. They went to Mexico, they sold out. And I guarantee you a lot of people in there were Mexican, sorry, just the fact. They haven't gone to a mostly black neighbor, black area and just had like, 50% of our fans are like, where it's noticeable enough and, and, like, hey, this is something we have to focus on. I'm not saying these girls can't fight. I'm not saying they didn't earn their spot. But when have you seen a girl with her second fight with no real big wins, like huge wins over a name person on a main card, even though somebody fell out, Calvillo was on a main card. Now she's on a second main card in a row? Conor McGregor didn't start out that high. Only person I can think of is Paige. Um... Did she start on the main card? Potentially paid. Would, would she, she started on the main card? She did. I feel like she did I because you remember they tried to get her. I think, she, I think she fought Kaylee Coran on a fight pass or an undercard. Uh, let me uh, let me look that up while I. She's on two main cards in the top three fights, two fights in a row, and she's only won one fight ever in the UFC. And I think I, I'm telling you, I think a lot of that deals with. I think more of that deals with. And I hate to say, I, there you're right. There are two strong demographics here. There's definitely the, the Hispanic marketplace where people were combat sports. I mean, it's soccer and boxing. Soccer, boxing. Well, I'll probably flip that when it comes to Mexico. It's boxing, soccer, then baseball. Everywhere else, it's probably soccer, boxing, then baseball, depending on where you go within the Latin marketplace. So, yes, that aspect of the sport is definitely bigger. I think the UFC probably placed them more on the fact that they are attractive women as opposed to if this market, if, if now if this fight would have been in Mexico or somewhere within that marketplace, they probably would have been the main, the co-main event, not even on the front. Like it, it could have been the, the the third fight down or something like that. Like they 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 would be even higher than where they are now. But I think the reason why they are where they are in this marketplace in North America is because they are two fighters that that male demographic is going to want to see and going to want to learn more about. I mean, either way, and you know, they, it's not like they have, and I hate, I'm, I hate, sometimes I hate talking about this, but it's the truth when it comes to mixed martial arts, especially the UFC. And I'm going to highlight this in, in, uh, in, with one other name in a second. When you look, either person wins, the UFC wins here. 
no matter because they they have someone that that, that they can continue and turn around and market. Look at what they've been doing with uh, Juliana Pena. Look at what they've been doing with uh, Michelle Watterson. They completely flipped 180 on their message with um, Michelle. Yeah, yeah, that's true, but that, that, that's my point exactly. Michelle wasn't given these kind of spots. She had a more she had a more more defined career. She was a former champion, for God's sake. She wasn't given no no main card draw. Jessica Panay was on a national nationally rated show, weekly show for almost how many months, and was a former champion. I don't remember her getting a main card spot either. Lauren Murphy was a former champion. She didn't get no main main spot in her first shot out. That's reserved for like Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate, Cyborg. Who, who's I mean, and, and I and I think that this deals more with the fact that they are attractive people. I mean, look at what look at the Sage North Club. Michelle, Michelle Waters is attractive. She didn't get a main card. She is. She is. But that was before. That, that was before the UFC switched ownership, too, as well. You also got to look at that point because the minute that they switched ownership, she was in the main event. Sage Northcutt and Mickey Gall but, fighting in a co-main event. I mean, Paige Manzant was was an A-side. She's a huge star. You're putting in two nobodies against each other. And I think a lot of that deals with the fact that they are both attractive women. I'm looking at the pub, I'm looking at the promotion for this fight, and I'm seeing these two more than I'm seeing Miles Jury, more than I'm seeing um, Will Brooks, more than I'm seeing Charles Oliveira. And and this well, also kind of brings up another conversation point too, as well, with the fact that the UFC refuses to sign Tanya Evinger to a deal. She's sitting out there beating people left and right, and the fact that she's like a 34 year old woman. She can't get a deal at all. I, I like Avenger. I like her a lot, but let's not pretend like she don't talk. She don't get a little reckless on the microphone. She does. Let's, I let's mean, she says play. whatever the hell comes out of her mouth, and you got. I mean, who else isn't doing that right now? Yeah, but there's an art form to it. Not not everybody can get not everybody can get away with being a bad guy, bad, bad boy. Not everybody can get away with being a choir boy. You. I mean, not everybody's going to be a superstar. That's fact. You don't just get to be a star because you win. Winning justifies you being a star. It doesn't make you a star. There's lots of guys with win streaks. John Fitch was never a star. He won a lot. It does not make you a star. It justifies why you're getting paid the money you make and why you're getting the opportunities you get. If Sage Norcutt wins his tough fights, it just justifies all the stardom. Just like when Paige Van Sant beat the brakes off Felice Herrig, it justified her being a star. It didn't make her a star. She she was a star. The, the, beat, the wins just justified. It's like, well... How can you hate on how can you hate on Connor? He one shot Alda. How can you hate on Connor? He he eliminated Eddie Alvarez. It didn't make him a star. It just justified why he gets all these opportunities because he always wins. But these, and these girls they're very attractive. I get that. And and you know what? That is playing a big that is playing a big part in it. But I can't help but think that they see what bo- what's going on with boxing. You you could have club fighters. There's club fighters with big fan bases. There's club fighters who can who can put in an extra three thousand people. Just because they're of Mexican descent, there's people who are mid-level fighters who constantly get big-name fights because they bring in a fan base, and that comes down to these girls haven't fought on a big enough platform to have a huge fan base. But there's one thing they have that could appeal to people who might not otherwise be concerned. There's one, and I've already said it: it's that demographic, that black, the African American demographic, not so much. Some of these other Brazilian stars, they're not really stars with their own people. That's why they don't get these opportunities. If you can generate interest, look at Alex Grosso. Why was she on the main card when the Andrade fight in the Hill fight was the bigger fight? That was for a title shot. Why are they Why are they five fights down lower than Alex Grosso? Yeah, Alex Grosso is um, attractive, but it's that fan base. 
Uh, man, I don't know, dude. I don't know. I'd, I'd argue with you on that. I think that they are right now with what the organization is trying to do and you, what you see them trying to do with some of their fights and the way these fights are scheduled, the way the fights are, are promoted. I think that they're more interested in people who look within a certain, who fit a certain physical mode before racial demographics. Well, well the, look, the, look, the look is important, but no offense, if you have a really good looking black chick and the African-American fan base isn't really buying into it, but you have these two really attractive Hispanic women and you, you know that their fan base is rabid for combat sports, which person is, is more of a risk for you, for you to invest in? Which person? Man, see, ooh, this is so difficult. This is so difficult because UFC won't even hire a black ring girl. They had one. They fired her. They fired her for posing nude and then let Ariani and Britney pose in Playboy. Hey, I I understand your point correctly. I'm not even I'm not even arguing that point, but I just have to I have to actually look at the facts. I mean, look at how long Floyd Mayweather had to go and who he had to fight before he got to sell sell stuff. Canelo's record hasn't been against the killers. He, he hasn't had as accomplished as Mayweather, but he's a, he's been a bigger star for longer. He Mayweather wanted him. Mayweather, the biggest star in boxing, wanted Canelo because of his fan base. He wanted Ricky Hatton because Ricky Hatton had that European fan base that will travel, that will spend their money. He doesn't ask for a lot mm-hmm. of black fighters because nobody, they ain't traveling to see him fight Andre Berto. No one cares. Andre Ward fought. Ain't nobody care. The only reason they care was the bad decision. These girls come from a culture that is very big on combat sports. And if the UFC can ever get them to buy into MMA, they're good. They will make all their money back. If they can ever get them to buy into MMA and get a fighter who can win and keep winning and get to the top, they will be good. They will make all their money back. I guarantee you. Canelo, Canelo. To be honest, I man, I He sold out the Alamodome, 55,000 fighting somebody who, w- who wouldn't have gotten 10,000 versus anybody else because his fans went to support him. Him being attractive matters. Those girls being attractive matters too, but I can't help but think that they want that demographic and they want it bad. In WME, they know how they're they're trying to play the demographics. That eighteen to what that eighteen to thirty five demographic is very important. But if you can get somebody who can touch on a cultural level, that changes a whole lot of things. There's people who don't regularly watch your show who are now signing in to watch it. For two people, they'll have to they'll pay for the whole show, to see two people. That, that's very powerful, and not many demographics are willing to sign in and do stuff like that. I'm with you, man. I am. I understand what you're saying, and the sad part about it is, I don't. I'm starting to believe that the UFC will never tap into the African American market. I'm starting to lean that way because boxing is even losing that demographic. They're slowly, slowly but surely. I mean, who's going to take Floyd's place? They, they they don't have too many guys. I mean, the guy they have, Broner isn't actually as good a fighter, but Broner, as far as African-American fighters, the guys who get ratings, like he's had something with the highest ratings on cable fights ever because he he draws mm-hmm. attention. Most guys, most guys, they're like, well, I don't want to perpetuate the stereotype. Fine. Get your shirt tucked in, put your tie on, speak a certain way, don't play it for the cameras. Don't complain to me when you don't get paid. We showed you what gets you paid. If you don't want to play us that, do what you want. It's the same thing you're saying, I just want to fight. I don't want to talk to sponsors. I don't want to talk to fans. I don't want to do podcasts. Fine. But when people don't come looking for you, when sponsors don't come looking for you, don't look at me because you know what it takes. You're not doing it. There's a certain, there's, there's, if you want to play a position, if you want to play the straight and narrow, that's fine. That means you can live a good life. You stay out of trouble, but maybe you don't have as much excitement as the person who plays on the edge. 
There's just certain things you can't argue with. And in, in those instances, they're, they're, this is the money business. They don't need the best fighters. This isn't like the NFL and all the legitimate sports. You can't skip things to put, to put people in, the, in a Super Bowl. If that was the case, they would have put the Dallas Cowboys in the last 10 Super Bowls because they get the best ratings. They, you can't do that. You have to, you have to win. In the UFC, in the, in the new UFC, they're going to start managing and creating fights like boxing that create interest. Get me someone interesting. Get me someone who will sell. We paid $4 billion for this company. I want my money back. Find me someone who will sell. And if you can't sell, we're not fighting for you. We might, we'll make you an offer. You don't like it? Hit the road. We'll find another fighter who is also not popular, who can fight as well as you can, and we'll bring him in for less money. But if you can't sell, you can't move units, or you're not in a position to create unit, create interest, we don't need you. We got enough fighters taking up space and, and not putting butts in seats and not improving our ratings. We don't need that. We can get anybody to do that. Definitely rock with you on that, man. This is a hell of a conversation, I, and I appreciate it. Um, I don't know. I just think that these two women are where they are today because white males are going to be excited to watch them. Oh, no. that that I won't. I mean, Angela Hill says all the time, you know, that there's that, that, that look, that look thing matters, but I'm, I'm telling you, dude, if they ever get into that, if they ever, the year, if somehow these girls break into that and they, they are the first to start this and you see the, the fan bases and you see people coming out, you're going to be like, okay, man, you, you told me. And, you know, you got these two girls who are like, got a couple wins the UFC and there's like 15,000 fans showing up at the weigh-in for two girls who've been in the UFC for less than a year and haven't beaten anybody worth a name. And it could very yep. well, very well get like that. Those those groups tend to bring out a lot of people, and um, certain groups don't. I don't want to name any names. What else from this card stands out for you, man? Like, there's a lot of there, there are a lot of other fights going on, man. Miles Jury is right now is listed as the opening bout. What else stands uh, out for you? Um, the the Caitlin Chukagan fight with the Irene Aldana. Aldana was the big signing for the UFC. Once again, she is of. Hispanic descent, and they were trying. They're once again trying to make that venture. The two big, the most of the big signs they made recently have to be in a certain demographic. She was one of those people who was supposed to be demographic, but she lost her fight to Leslie Smith. Um, that's a big fight because once again, if she can get a win, that starts her ascent and kind of justifies the, the UFC in signing her. She's a good fighter, but she has an issue when people don't let her pressure them freely. Her chin's a little shaky. She applies a lot of pressure, a lot of volume. Chukagan. The thing that stands out about her is most girls in the UFC fight a certain way, especially that weight class, 35. They kind of brawl. They kind of throw power. She's one of the few girls you'll see actually using footwork, slips, feints, counters, an active jab. She's one of Mark Henry's students. So she brings a certain element to striking that we don't, we very rarely get to see. We see with Holly Holm a little bit. And really, that's about it. A lot of the girls who strike in, um, in the division are real meat and potatoes and how they strike. And Chukagan comes from a big, a fairly big camp. She's got some kind of, she got, she's, got a, she's a very attractive girl. She's a blonde, attractive girl. And um, she has a style that kind of stands out in a style full of wrestle boxer. She's more of a defensive wrestler, um, layered technical striker. So I think that's an important fight because the 35 division and women's division is very thin. You're starting to see a repeat of matchups and they need some, they need somebody to take a step up and take a step forward so they can start establishing themselves and pushing some of these older names or, less popular names to the back. That's what you want in a division. You want young guys coming up, young girls, young guys coming up who can compete and fill it out. And this is yet another opportunity for both girls to come out and show that they're ready to take that next step forward and maybe they might be the future of the division. 
That's some good breakdown there, man. That's some good breakdown. I, I myself, I'm looking forward to seeing what, what Miles Jury looks like. Definitely, I already talked about the um, Oliveira uh, Brooks fight. We talked about that. I'm looking forward to seeing what Miles Jury looks like coming back. Didn't didn't he kind of say he was retiring after his last loss? Uh, and then I guess he kind of changed his mind, or, or am I getting him confused with um, Jimmy Hedis? I thought it was, but I'm not sure. I I, I don't dislike Miles Jury. Just something about him always has kind of rubbed me the wrong way. He's always, he's been one of those guys who kind of talks a lot better than he actually goes through. Like he's like, oh, this fight is so easy, and I I just got everything over this guy. And I'm like, I've seen a fight. And I'm like, I did. I just never saw him as a guy who was just so much better than the guys he was beating. And so it's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like I said, I don't root against him, but I just never thought he was what he advertised himself to be. Every time he seemed to step up to a certain level, he seemed to get pretty summarily defeated and not with, with with great effort either definitely definitely get with you on that one there um let's see what else are we talking man we had a pretty good show today man i don't even know if we really need to kind of jump into some other stuff one thing i want to ask you about man as this as this continues to grow this will be the last topic of the day mayweather mcgregor i am not talking about this fight and i use that in air quotes and two there is a signed bout agreement when when do you think we should start talking about this fight? I mean, if you want to get casual listeners, you should always talk about it. People just no, Lord. I mean, I'm just sorry. It's, I mean, you put that if we put that on MMA ratings, we might hit a million the first day if we pretend like we had oh news on it. It'd be it'd be flooding it. Um, this isn't a fight so much as it's an event, and um, it it could be good for both parties. I mean, it, it'd be it's gonna get Conor paid, it's gonna get Floyd paid, it's gonna get the UFC paid, it's gonna get. Floyd's box promotion pay, and it's going to give fans something to to look forward to. They're not looking forward to the fight. Everybody's going to look forward to the event. And um, both combat sports, every sport needs big events. And and money talks, and that's the most important thing, is guys getting paid and opportunities being made for guys. These are short careers, whether you're a boxer or an MMA fighter, and you need to make the most of it. I think the fight's always worth talking about, because regardless of whether this fight was on – on deck or not, people always talk about this person could be Floyd Mayweather. How many how, how many years have we been talking about Floyd Mayweather? Uriah Favors talked about Floyd Mayweather. Ronda Rousey talked about Floyd Mayweather. Dominic Cruz talks about Floyd Mayweather. Half the MMA fighters grew up watching boxing, so half the guys they talk about are boxers. So, I mean, it, it's something that always comes up. I mean, it's just something now that we have something concrete or something that's close to concrete that we can actually focus in on. And while, and while everybody's just like you, they're sick of the talk, as soon as that fight gets signed, the stadium sells out. Every pay-per-view says, sells out. And we're going to have a bunch of Irishmen filling the United States to come see this fight if they have it here. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those events that even if it's not competitive, you want to say that you or be there. You know, I, if I can get a ticket, I'd go. I mean, who, who who's going to be there? Everybody's going to be there. I mean, can you imagine? That's, 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 man. I don't even want to begin thinking about that. There's a guy on Twitter. I wrote a piece, I think, last year, maybe around October last year. No, it was before that, like August, September, about why I think this fight is never going to happen. I think I put together five reasons why this fight would never happen. To this day, every time there's some kind of announcement about any picture, Mayweather sneezes and says, and McGregor says, God bless you, anything. This guy, this this troll comes at me and, and basically just starts, you know, doing classic um, troll things. 
Uh, and I think it's funny. To this day, man, to this day, and once this fight gets 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 made, I'm probably going to have to buy this guy a, a steak dinner or something like that because he refuses to let it go. The main, the main, only reason this money, this fight has any chance of being made is because it has financial value. The UFC might back off because I've, I've heard rumors that the UFC might get a percentage of the fight, and they're trying to make their money back. So if they can get some of that pay-per-view money, that'd be huge for them. And the only reason McFloyd is actually entertaining it is because an MMA fighter challenged him to a boxing match, and he's an MMA fighter who generates a lot of interest in money. That's all is to it. That fight could have any fight between an MMA fighter and a major boxer could have been had, but no fighter makes it worth the boxer's truck time. The boxer could make more fight money fighting another boxer than they could fight this MMA guy. The MMA guy could make more money fighting some other MMA guy than fighting a boxer. It's because of the show, the event, the personalities, and the characteristics of Mayweather and McGregor that make this possible, make this even a chance. The UFC sees the dollar signs, Dana White sees the dollar signs, Floyd sees the dollar signs. It's not just because they think it's competitive or it's so it's such a meetup of styles. It's because of the money. So you just had somebody have somebody who has enough interest and generates enough money to make it worth Floyd's while to take this chance. Because if he loses, his whole boxing career is turned upside down. And everybody he's beat looks really bad on the back end of this. You know, McGregor loses, it's what you expect. But if he gets knocked out, that's really bad for him because Mayweather hardly knocks anybody out. So it, there's some risk on both ends. But when you're talking about hundred, possibly two hundred dollar million paydays before pay per view, and movie and movie uh, tickets that are going to be sold for this fight, you're talking about two hundred million made before then. You can't turn that kind of money down, even for an organization as big as Floyd or as big as the UFC. A couple hundred million right off the bat before you even start the event is a huge amount of money you can't afford to turn away. I'm with you on that, man. Let us know what, what you're working on for this week. Uh, we have a lot of things we're trying to, you know, we're still trying to build MMA ratings.net. We're definitely working on a lot of different stuff. What do you, what do you got coming up for this week? Uh, of course, I already have the uh, piece on the uh, Chris Weidman. Kind of, it was more focused on. It's more focused on Chris Weidman and and the kind of the ups and downs of his career. And I kind of explain his style and why he has problems with certain kinds of fighters. It's like the conversation we had here, just more in depth. I go in more depth in more in depth with the um, Chu Kagan and Aldana fight kind of like once again I touch on some of the part when I have pieces I kind of touch on them here but I really go in depth about that should be coming out on Friday about why the fight's important the value of the fight and the value of the fight on a technical and strategical level as well that's all I have for the um, the UFC 210 though They're just those two pieces because um, I'm really a big fan of the female the female fights I do a lot of my uh, it's it's about to get real like 60 70% of them are female fights because I don't I don't think the female fighters get enough attention or breakdowns or or be, they're not brought to the forefront as much by the UFC or by other analysts and writers so I try to take as many opportunities as I can to really familiarize guys with their techniques and what they bring to the table and why you should care about the person fighting definitely with you man I always appreciate your work on the side I think you always do great stuff there man um I myself, I have a piece coming out about uh, Weidman and Musasi, another piece on Brooks and Oliveira that's coming out. It should be on, on the sites later on this week. Um, I just put together um, a piece on Fight the Win Pro. You know, you always say I try to push competitive grappling, and I'm doing that again. Fight the Win Pro is this weekend um, in New Jersey. It features um, 
Tom DeBlas and Rico Rodriguez in the main event. Um, two former UFC, two former UFC and Bellator fighters headlining the bout. Um, Gordon Ryan, Luke Barbosa, Kurt Bellagrino is competing, and a couple other MMA guys as well. So that should be a good grappling event for this weekend. Um, I just did a piece. I'm doing frequent pieces. I just did a piece actually about Daniel Cormier uh, and his not being a star. So you can definitely go check that out on fan sided. But uh, as always, definitely come back and catch. I have a question for you, real quick. What did, you, what did you think about Dern getting submitted? Who? Uh, Mackenzie Dern. Oh, Dern getting submitted. Man, I'm about to go on a tangent on this. When I, um, when I first started making the, the, the transition from grappling to jujitsu, I have a friend that always used to say he's a black belt. Ricardo, I made a black belt up in Jersey. He always used to say, and if you're in, in if you're in New Jersey, if you have children, you want them to go train, go to Pete McHugh's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. There's no other place in the world I would I would put my children to go if you want to go um, train. Just just to put that out there, but that's neither here nor there. He and I used to have a conversation about the transition from from grappling like jujitsu for jujitsu's sake even sports sport jujitsu to mma and how it how it impacts your technique